All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to Philip, Philippians uh, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, uh, I don't know if you know scripture songs. I don't know if you guys know scripture songs, to be honest with you. It was probably, oh, a long time ago. Um, I came across a bunch of scripture songs, and, uh, and, uh, and I, I started listening to them, and I really liked them. I thought, I really enjoyed, and every now and then I'll be reading through my Bible, and my wife and I have Bible study with our kids, and we're reading through, and, and we'll come across the portion, and my wife and I will just kind of break out in song, uh, singing the verse that's in the, in the passage. And, uh, and my kids kind of look at us weird, and they're like, what are you doing? And uh, we're like, go ahead, sing with us, and, and we'll sing it again. And uh, we enjoy that, and, and I, I enjoy Scripture songs. I, I, I just really do. They, uh, they're good because, A, they stick in your mind, and that's a good way to memorize Scripture. And then, B, uh, or the second thing is that they really... Uh, they're, they're usually something that's good. There's something that's refreshing. There's something that's encouraging and helpful to us. And so um, I'm going to try this. Uh, I don't know if you know, Rejoice in the Lord Alway. And again, I say rejoice. It is a scripture song, and maybe you've sung it. Maybe you haven't. Uh, but it goes like this, and we're going to sing it tonight. Uh, you don't have to stand or anything, just where you're at. Uh, I'm going to sing it through once, and, uh, and then after that, we're all going to try and sing it together. All right? Just a short uh, little song. It's Philippians 4.4 is the verse that, that we actually sing. And it goes, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You probably sang it in Sunday school. That's when I saw it, I thought Sunday school teachers started singing, I thought that's probably a Sunday school song too. So let's sing it all together, and uh, I thought it would be a good introduction for, for this evening and, and looking at our passage. So all together, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I think we were supposed to sing that twice, and I messed that part up. Well, thanks for following along anyway, and, uh, and, and, and keeping up with me. I make mistakes, a lot of them. I do the best I can, but... Philippians chapter 3, we're not in Philippians 4 yet, but we are getting there, and, and, uh, and we see that idea of rejoice all throughout the book of Philippians. And so we're kind of picketing and targeting the uh, verses that talk about that, and tonight we've got an interesting passage, Philippians chapter 3, and verse number 1, we'll start there and we'll read just the first three verses, and, um, and, and then we'll get into the message. The Bible says there in Philippians chapter 3, in verse number 1, Finally, my brethren, uh, let's stop right there just for a moment. He's in the middle of the chapter, all right? He's like a good Baptist preacher. He says, finally, uh, and then he continues and, and goes on for another two chapters, okay? Uh, so that's typical of, of many Baptist preachers. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you 
to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Verse number two, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And we'll stop right there and, uh, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house, Father, to read your word, to understand your word, and to uh, really allow your word to speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart. I pray that you'd um, help us to understand it. God, I pray that you'd help us even to rejoice in our Christian life. Father, we can certainly have joy in, in, in serving you. And Father, I pray that you would again use me and speak through me. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at this passage, uh, we, verse 2 honestly kind of seems out of place. Now it's not at all. Uh, but, it, but you're reading down through there and he says rejoice in, in verse 1 and then he goes on to beware of dogs and beware of evil workers. Uh, and we'll talk about that. But then he goes on in the third verse and he ends the third verse with uh, and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And so we find here the first verse gives us a command to rejoice in the Lord. It is not an option. Uh, you notice that what he says, he doesn't say, you know, when the days go good, then I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, he doesn't say that. He, there's no qualifications. There's nothing uh, there. It just simply says rejoice in the Lord. And it's a command. Uh, now, I've said it many times and I'll say it again. Rejoicing is not being always gleeful, giddy, happy and smiling and bouncing off the walls. Uh, that is that is happiness. There, that is a uh, maybe a state that uh, some people may have, uh, but it's not necessarily saying that that's the way we have to be all the time. But there is a joy that we can have in our heart, and He commands us to have that joy. He says, "Rejoice in the Lord." And so we find it interesting here. And as I was looking at it, I I, I wanted I could spend all night looking at the reasons that we have to rejoice in the Lord. One of the things I did notice uh, that he says, in the Lord. And as we think about that, as we are saved, listen, uh, we have lots of reason to rejoice in our salvation for being saved, uh, being part of the Lord's family. Turn back with me to uh, Ephesians chapter number 2, just back a few pages. And if we if we realize what we were and where we were when we were lost um, and where we are now, boy, we can bring, it'll bring great joy to our lives. I think I mentioned it before. Sometimes you don't realize that you've grown or sometimes you don't realize the change that's taken place in your life as, as growth tends to be gradual and you don't always see it and you don't always notice it. Uh, but when you look back to where you once were and where you are now, you're like, wow. That's a big difference. And that, that will help us have joy. In Ephesians chapter number 2, look at what he says. He's writing to saved people in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. And he says this, And you, talking about saved people, hath he quickened, and that word quickened means to make alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin." Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince 
of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also uh, we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You read that and you think, wow, that's quite a... Uh, a mouthful. That's quite a, a, a thing that he said. Look at what he says there in verse 1. He said, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. You remember in uh, the Garden of Eden when God said to Adam, hey, don't eat of that fruit uh, that's in the midst of the garden because the day you eat of it, thou will surely die. And, uh, and you look at that and you say, well, Adam continued to live, but spiritually he died. Spiritually he died. And you look at people... Uh, that are walking around all, the, all around us who are lost, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, and spiritually speaking, they are dead. They, they're dead spiritually. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, uh, that it talks about the, uh, the, the natural man or that person that is lost who's not saved cannot understand the things of the Bible. Uh, because they are spiritually discerned. And because the spirit of them is dead, uh, they don't have any understanding of spiritual things. Not only that, but you think about temptation, you think about sin, you think about uh, things. Sometimes in our life, we may do something that's wrong. And you know what? When we do, you know what happens? Well, number one, our conscience convicts us and says, well, you just did something wrong. You should not have done that. And two, the Holy Spirit of God convicts us and says, you know that was wrong and you know you should not have done that. That's for somebody who's saved. That's for us that are born again. But you know somebody who's lost, they don't have that. Oh, their conscience might bother them, but the Holy Spirit of God is not living and abiding inside of them to tell them, hey, you have just done wrong. And so when we look at lost people, a lot of times on Wednesday night going through the book of Proverbs, I've said and I've mentioned, well, I don't understand how people can be like that. The reason they can be like that is because they don't have the Holy Spirit convicting them and saying, what you have done is wrong. And so they're spiritually dead and they can live any way they want without any kind of um, bad feelings or any kind of remorse for what they have done because you can sear your own personal conscience. You can shut it off. You can convince yourself, well, I'm okay to do that. You can justify yourself to your own conscience, but to God you cannot. And so before we were, before we were saved, when we were lost, listen, we were dead to that. We had no concept of right and wrong. Uh, we didn't really understand all of that. I mean, we may have known what was wrong, but we would justify our actions. And so we were dead. In verse number 2, he goes on and he says that we were following the world. That's what he says. He says in verse number 2, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world. Now, you're say, we are saved people. I'm preaching to saved people. And you watch the news and you live in the world and you see how the world lives and walks. And you say, well, that's far different from what we do. Their philosophy, their idea, their goals in their life and what they're aiming for and what they're trying to accomplish in life is far different from what a believer is trying to accomplish. And maybe at one point when you were lost and you weren't following God, uh, that you did have those goals. And now you're looking back and you're saying, man, I'm... My, my life is so much different. 
uh, because this world really does not offer joy in it. Oh, there's temporal happiness, there's temporal comfort, there's temporal uh, pleasure for those things. But listen, it's short-lived. And those people who have uh, pursued those things, um, and maybe those who have become really wealthy, it might surprise you to find out how unhappy they truly are because they're like, they thought, man, all this would provide happiness, and truly it doesn't. It doesn't satisfy. And so they continue searching and they continue looking, but true joy comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can look back and we say, man, I'm glad that I'm not following the world and that I'm not living after the philosophy of this world. That's what we used to do. Then he says in verse 3, he says, Among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the, and of the mind. Listen, before we were following the world, we were dead to, uh, in our sins, and, uh, and we followed our flesh. Whatever we desired to do, that's what we did. And listen, that doesn't bring joy. Uh, that doesn't bring happiness. Matter of fact, you look at that and you say, man, what a, uh, what a sad life it truly is. And that's true. You find all of that. But then we get to verse number four. And here's our reason to rejoice. It says here in verse number four, but God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us, to sit, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And then he goes on, of course, to the verses that we know so well. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you look at your life now, and you say, man, I can rejoice because, number one, I'm not dead in my trespasses and sin. I have been made alive and the Spirit of God dwells within me. I'm not following and living after the world and following all the ideas of the world. I'm not living after my flesh, but we ought to be living for God. And if you do, man, it'll, it'll change your life and you'll have joy. You'll have peace. You'll have that contentment that the world searches for, but they cannot find. Um, because the answer is in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can provide that. And so as we look at this, the idea of rejoicing in the Lord, uh, one of the reasons is, is, hey, looking at where we once were and saying, man, I am glad that God has changed my life. I'm glad that God put me on a different path. I'm glad that I'm not traveling down that same road that I used to be and I don't live for the world and I don't live for myself and I don't, uh, I'm not dead in my trespasses and sin, but God who is rich in mercy. I love that verse. In other words, we're not getting what we deserve. Uh, if, what, if we got what we deserved, every one of us would be on, our, our, on the road to hellfire. That's what we deserve. But man, we can rejoice and say, I'm glad He changed my path. I'm glad He promised me a home in heaven. I'm glad that He's providing for me and taking care of me. And there's something much greater than myself to live for. Uh, but God, who is rich in mercy... And for His great love wherewith He loved us. 
It's amazing you think about the love of God and how He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Even how uh, when we, we lived a selfish, wicked life, that God, the holiness of God, I love that person. You contrast the two, and it just doesn't even seem logical. It just doesn't even seem right. But God loves us, and He wanted to see our life change. And so the reason that we have to rejoice is because of the salvation that God has given us, and we don't live uh, in the flesh after ourselves. Back in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And then he writes this, he said, To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, for you it is safe. In other words, he said, I've repeated myself a lot, but listen, uh, I don't mind. It's not grievous for me to have to repeat this over and over again, uh, but it's a good thing for you to learn. Turn back with me to Philippians 1 and verse 26. We're just going to walk through a few passages real quick here. Philippians 1, 26. He said that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. Look with me in Philippians 2, 2. He says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. He said that you would fulfill my joy. Look with me in verse number 18. He said, For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Look at verse 28 of chapter 2. He goes on and he says, at the last part, he says, Ye may rejoice. And then in verse 29, he says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. And in verse th- chapter 3 there, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And he's saying, listen, it doesn't bother me to repeat it over and over and over and over again. He's given us a whole list of reasons that we can rejoice in the Lord. Listen, Christian, we don't have to be discouraged. We don't have to be down. Uh, We don't have to be uh, uh, depressed and discouraged because in reality, we can rejoice in the Lord. And there's lots of reasons. Principally, our salvation is the first and foremost. We can say, man, I'm promised a home in heaven. No matter what happens here on this world, I know that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What a blessing to know that Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us. We have reason to rejoice this evening. Uh, And Paul is saying, hey, rejoice in the Lord. It is a command. And we are to rejoice and be happy uh, and joyful, rather, uh, for what God has done for us. Then he gets into verse number 2 and he says, Beware of dogs. Now, he's gone from rejoicing to beware. Um, and, And this is an interesting verse. He says, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now, I'm not going to say that you shouldn't beware of dogs. You should beware of dogs. You know, most signs in their yard, we go passing out tracks, and uh, when you go up to a door, it says, beware of dog, okay? Uh, you should beware of dogs. Uh, but this verse is not necessarily talking about dogs, those four-footed animals that bark and bite, okay? Uh, this verse, as you look at it, what is a dog? What is he talking about here? Uh, he says, uh, 
he says, beware of dogs. Well, if you look up dogs in the Bible, uh, you'll find out that many times it's used as an insult to a worthless man. And if you actually look it up in the dictionary, you'll find one of the definitions in Webster's, uh, the old dictionary, it says, a mean, worthless fellow. So there you go. He said, beware of dogs. Now, you can take that literally. You should beware of dogs. You can take that figuratively. You should beware of mean, worthless people. Um, because he kind of gives the idea here. Uh, remember when David was, uh, was chased out of his kingdom because uh, Absalom was trying to take over the throne and, and David is leaving and, and a man comes out and he starts to curse David and, and one of David's faithful followers, Abishai, was there with him and, and he starts to defend King David and, and in 2 Samuel verse, chapter 16 and verse 9, the Bible says this, Then said Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Well, there's a good verse for you. I don't recommend you, you know, you run around, you sign your name and put that verse. Just put John 3.16, okay? You don't need to put that verse. But he's saying uh, his loyalty was such to the king that he said, man, that guy is, uh, that guy is cursing the king David. And, and he, said, he said he called him a dead dog. And time and time again throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, they looked at a dog as, as a kind of an insult and an offensive term. Uh, in America, in our culture, uh, it's common for us to have a dog. Our dog is our uh, man's best friend, is kind of the idea in America and and, and there's, of course, you got your dog lovers and you got your cat lovers and got the two that like to battle each other and, well, dogs are better and they're better, etc. We'll not get into that. But in, in, in uh, Bible times and especially in uh, Jewish mindset, the dogs were not really man's best friend. They were not a pet that lived in their house with them. Uh, they were viewed as a lowly animal that was more of a scavenger, like a wolf or a coyote, who would roam the land and... and, and uh, uh, was not a useful thing. And so we find here in verse number 2, he says, beware of dogs. And he's talking about literally worthless people who are so wrapped up in themselves that they do not care about other people. Matter of fact, uh, they'll, they'll bark and they'll bite uh, to protect what is, is their own possession, and usually that's their own self, and they'll, uh, they'll try and tear down others because of, uh, for their own sake, and, and they're selfless or self, selfish people. Beware of dogs. Then he says, beware of wicked people or evil workers. We know what evil workers are, uh, those who oppose Christianity. We're well aware uh, that there, there is a spiritual battle going on and there are those who absolutely oppose Christianity. Perhaps in your workplace you run into that. And those that just, uh, they just cannot stand you because you're a born-again Christian, you're going to do what's right and you're going to uh, try and live right and walk right and, and they just absolutely can't stand that. And there are those who will attack and go after uh, Christian people. So he says here in verse 2, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. And then he goes on and he says, beware of the concision. And that would be concision means this, uh, a cutting off, a division, or a schism, a faction. That would be those who would go in and try and divide and cause division 
among other people. Look with me in 1 Timothy. As Paul had experience with this, save your spot there in, in Philippians chapter 3. Timothy comes after Philippians, so you want to go towards the back of your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And look with me at verse 19. Now, 1 Timothy is written by Paul to Timothy, his his son in the faith, if you will. And he's given some instruction here to him. And he says here in verse 19, he says, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. In other words, uh, they were Christian or they they were holding the faith and had a good conscience, uh, but they put it away and they decided we're not going to follow our faith any longer and, and they became shipwrecked as Paul would describe them. And he says in verse 20, of whom is Hymenae, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And so there's these two fellows who had caused problems for Paul. Now, we don't know a whole lot about them, but look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll see this fellow Alexander, I believe, is the same guy as he's talking about here in in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 14. And here's what Paul says of him. He says, Alexander, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. And so Paul was very familiar with those who had caused division amongst the ministry. Perhaps they had lost faith, perhaps for some other reason, perhaps like uh, somebody else that he had mentioned, they had fallen in love with this present world and left the faith because of that. But for whatever reason, uh, they were causing division. And Paul is saying, listen, to beware of those people. So in verse 1, we have a command. And in verse 2, he says, be conscientious of those who are working evil. And I'll finish that off by saying, but not fretting. Be aware. Sometimes we think rejoicing is ignorant of the world and ignorant of the evil and ignorant of of what is coming at us and attacking us. And Paul is saying, listen, you can be joyful and still be mindful of what is going on. We don't have to be like the, uh, the ostrich that sticks his head in the sand and is ignorant of what is going on around him. We can be well aware that there are dogs, there are worthless people who would uh, devour and attack us. There are wicked workers who would come after Christians, who would destroy Christians, and who would not uh, want to see a church or a family succeed in life. And there are those who would be con- uh, divisive in this world and who would attack and try to cause division even among saved people. And Paul is saying, hey, be aware of those, but you don't have to fret. He sandwiches that between rejoice in the Lord. And then in verse three, he says, rejoice in Christ Jesus. And in the middle, he's telling us, hey, we do need to be aware of what's going on. We shouldn't be ignorant. We shouldn't just say, well, you know, just ignore everything that's going on and say, well, it'll all be all right. And and we need to be aware, but not be worried. And there's a fine line there. 
Uh, the, the Bible, Paul told Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 1.7, uh, he says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. We need to understand that. And sometimes the opposition uh, of the, the dogs or the worthless people and the wicked people and the divisive people, that looks like a big obstacle. And it looks like, hey, how are we ever going to get ahead when we're up against all of this? And he goes on in verse number 3, and he tells us the answer to that. And we need to understand that we do need to be conscientious of what is going on. But then look at verse number 3. He says, For we are the circumcision, which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. And he says this, and have no confidence in the flesh. You can kind of take the opposite of that and say, have confidence in Christ. Have confidence in Christ. And so the command in verse 1 is rejoice in the Lord. In verse 2 he says, hey, be conscientious and be aware of what is going on around us. Be aware that there is concision. Be aware that there are people who would come after us. And listen, don't boast yourself in your flesh and don't have confidence in your ability, but you can confide and have confidence in Christ. Look at what he says about this. Uh, Paul goes on, and Paul is probably the best one to give this example. In verse number 4, he says this. He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And he's going to go on and he's going to explain all of his credentials. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, I, those I counted loss for Christ. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, you might think, well, listen, it won't happen to me. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a good, strong Christian, and man, I've got a lot of uh, discipline and a lot of faith. And, and Paul's saying, listen, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, it would be me. Paul had dedicated his life to be a Pharisee. In the Bible, he, he claims to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees. In other words, hey, I've learned the law. I've adhered to the law. They had a strict adherence to the law. And he, that's what he's naming off here. And he's saying, hey, zeal, I had zeal. Man, I went after the church that was, that was against the Jew, Jewish religion and, and I persecuted the church. That was my zeal and I was certainly uh, a person that could have confidence in the flesh. And he's saying, if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, I could. But then he says, but all of that is loss. You can have all that discipline. You can have all that ability. You can have all that intelligence. You can have all that learning. You can have all that zeal. But if it's all in the flesh, it's absolutely worthless. It does not count for anything. And he says, have no confidence in the, in the flesh. But before that, he says, rejoice in Christ Jesus. And we have to reject our confidence in Christ starts by rejecting our confidence in ourselves and our flesh and realizing we can't do it. You know how many religious people, devout people, 
have dedicated a lot of money, time, and effort to their religion. They're, they're dedicated. They're, I'll be honest with you, they're dedicated than some Christians who are saved. They really are. I mean, they'll, they'll invest. I ran into them overseas. They will travel overseas and they will invest money in children's homes and in this and that and they will lay, labor there and they will live there and, and work and, and do all of that trying to, uh, uh, to, to maybe gain a spot in heaven or, or for some religious uh, thing. They have discipline. They have dedication. They'll, they'll invest, but all their confidence is placed in the flesh, not in Christ Jesus. And we see that Paul is saying, listen, that's not going to help you. Look with me in 2 Chronicles. Turn back with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 32. 2 Chronicles chapter number 32. We find Hezekiah, and he's encouraging the people. Hezekiah 32, we'll just go there for context's sake, and we'll kind of read the first couple of verses, or the... Yeah, the first few verses of that chapter. Second Chronicles chapter 32 and verse 1. Now there's opposition to the Christians. They were well aware of the opposition that was against them. Uh, and they were, they were not ignorant. They were conscientious of what was going on. In verse number 1, the Bible says, After these things, the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities, and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come, and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the watchers of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help him. Basically, there's, uh, there's an encampment, and they were trying to keep that from taking place. Verse 4. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and all the brooks that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the king of, kings of Assyria come and find much water? Also he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers and another wall without and repaired Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. And he set captains of war over all the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably to them saying now let me explain all this he is preparing for war the Assyrians had come and he's preparing the people for this battle that's about to take place and I want you to know that he was well aware of the the advances of the enemy and that they were gathering around him he was not just sitting in his in his castle saying you know what God's going to protect us he made all the provisions. He took all the precautions. He repaired the gates. He set up the water so that the enemy would not have water. He was taking all of these precautions. But look at what he says in verse number 7. He says, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. Now I think some of the soldiers were scratching their head thinking, this guy's crazy. He's lost it. I mean, uh, we are clearly outnumbered. The Assyrians and the kings that have, have mounted battle against us. But he says, hey, there's more with us and with him. And look at what he says. With him is an arm of flesh. 
But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the word of Hezekiah, king of Judah. You know what he did? He said, yeah, the opposition looks bad. I realize that. The armies, they look strong. I realize that. We've made all our preparations. I realize that. But you know what? They are trusting in in the arm of flesh. We are trusting in God. And God is far bigger than any enemy that could mount against us. How many times in the Old Testament and in the Bible do you see an enemy that is larger than the nation of Israel? When Goliath came uh, and he offered, he said, hey, send out your best soldier. And they said, man, we don't have it. Look at this guy. He's huge. Joe, you go, Joe. No, no, you go, Frank. I ain't going. Look at that guy. He's huge. He'll kill me with one, one pound of his fist. I'm dead. And, and how many times throughout Scripture, time and time again, did it look like an impossible situation? The Christians and those who believed in God were, were grossly outnumbered. Their enemy was much larger, was much stronger, was much more overwhelming. Uh, what about the Israelites when they had left out of Egypt and they fled and they were right there at the, uh, the Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming after them? They were far better. They were trained soldiers. The Israelites had been slaves. They didn't even have a sword. They had nothing. And yet God, time and time again, when, when those who believe in Him and trust and put their confidence in God, realize and understand, it's not us. It's not our strength. It's not our intelligence. It's not our abilities. And in every case, you make all the preparations. You do all of the work. You don't just sit there as a slouch uh, thinking, well, you know, God's going to take care of it all. No, you make all your preparations. You do all of your part. But in the end, you trust in God. And he says in, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, for our confidence is in Christ. Listen. Enemies will mount against us. Oh yeah, we need to be conscientious of them. We need to be aware of them. We should not be ignorant of what's going on. We ought to be aware uh, of the, the mounting attacks that are against us. But our faith and our trust has to be placed in God. The proverb says it this way in Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You take the precautions. You take all the steps to prepare. But our faith has to be placed firmly in God. And that's what Paul is saying in verse number 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Rejoiced in Christ Jesus. I love that he says in verse 3, or verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. And in verse 3 he says rejoice in in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can offer true joy, peace, and contentment. You know, we sing in Christmas time, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And truly, it is a joy for us. Jesus did come, and we are saved because of the sacrifice that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. And listen, we ought to sing that song all year round, joy to the world. Because in reality... It's Him that gives us the joy. It's Him that's changed our life. And and we ought to think about the fact that, hey, 
we have joy in Christ Jesus. Matthew 28, 20, uh, he ends, Jesus is speaking. He gave the great commission to his disciples and said to, uh, to give out the gospel everywhere they go and to baptize people. And then he goes on at the end of verse 20 and he says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What a blessing to know that, hey, everywhere we go, oh, there may be enemies, oh yeah, yeah, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of concision. But hey, Jesus Christ is with you everywhere you go. And He's there watching over you. And He said, I will be with you always. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And listen, the promises that Jesus gave us are a consolation and they're a comfort. And we ought not have confidence in our own flesh and our own ability, but we can put total confidence in Jesus Christ. I think I've told this before, but I remember when I came to Bible college, and you, you can look at me, I'm not, a, I'm not a football player. I'm not built like a football player. Um, and, and I'm just, that's who I am. And I remember as a teenager, I was even more scrawny. When I came to Bible college, I had just, uh, I had spent two months, I had spent the entire summer down in Peru, and, and I came back and I had lost a lot of weight in Peru. I had been sick, and, and, uh, and, and it's really easy to lose weight in Peru, and and so I did, and, uh, and I didn't have any weight to lose, and so I came back and I was really even more scrawny uh, than I normally was, and I'm not very big anyways. And so uh, I came to Bible college, and I was uh, young, and, and I had pretty much grown up not in the city, but kind of more out in the country and, and things of that nature. And I, I remember a fellow saying, hey, let's, uh, let's go preach in Canton. And I thought, well, I'll do that. And, uh, and I, I didn't really know, and so we... We went out. I had never been really street preaching before, and so we went out. and And, and this fellow was big, and and he had he he lived in Detroit, Michigan. So I thought, well, he knows what he's doing, and he's man. I'm just sticking with him, and he's like, you know, he was built like a football player, and I was built like his little tiny brother. Um, and, and so I just stayed with him. And you know what? I felt really confident as long as I was with that guy. When I looked around and. It, in downtown Canton and on in the evening, probably Friday night, and, and, and I look around, and I didn't see William was his name. I didn't see William. I'm like, I need to find my friend. I suddenly felt very insecure and very much so like, man, you know, it wouldn't take much for anybody out here to pound me because I don't know anything about Canton. And, and, and I just kind of stuck with him. And, and, and there's something comforting to know that you have somebody bigger that's watching out for you, that's kind of going to help you. And, and he had said, hey, I'll take you along with me and I'll, you know, don't worry and, and I'll be with you. And, and it was comforting. Listen, in our life, we have Jesus Christ with us always. And he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And listen, there is nobody that is bigger or stronger than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can have total confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to give us reason to rejoice. We say, man, I might not have the ability. I might not have the strength. I might not have what it takes. But you know what? God does. And if we live and follow Him with our life, we can rejoice in Christ Jesus because He'll help us with everything that he's asked us to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet, rejoice in the Lord.
we have a lot of reasons to rejoice. It's commanded, number one. Or we can be conscientious. We ought to be conscientious of the evil that's around us. Then we have confidence in Christ Jesus because He's always with us. He'll help us. He'll strengthen us. God, I pray that You'd help each and every Christian. And God, maybe we get our eyes off of You and we get separated from You and we've wandered maybe farther than we should from You. God, help us to fix our eyes on You and to come running right back to You where we can have the confidence and the joy in our life because our confidence is placed in You and not in ourselves. God, we have every reason as Christians to rejoice. Oh, even, even with the mounting of the enemy around us and even with the, uh, the very real threat that, that maybe we would have around us, God, we still have reason to rejoice. Because after all, you said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. God, we can count on you and your presence in our life for the rest of our life and the rest of our time here on this world. God, I pray that you'd help us to trust in you and put our faith completely in you in every circumstance and in every situation. God, will thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, just a short hymn of invitation. Are you trusting in God? The arm of flesh will fail you. Listen, God's always faithful. Follow God. thine own 